the quality of the recording we'll have to see. Um, I, I'm very low tech today. Um, so my name is John Reed. Um, I'm John Ear Pete on Twitter, but just to be forewarned, this is a professional account, and I write about, I tweet about things like enterprise software. I do some social media and stuff, but just know what you're getting into here. This, um, I'm also the uh, founder of the Northampton Facebook group, which is a very bizarre thing, but anyway. Which is how we met. Which is how we met. Um, I do another Northampton page, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is not all about me, by the way. I just want you to know a little bit about who I am. This is going to be an interactive discussion. I'm also the co-founder of Hidden Tech. Uh, one of my fellow co-founders in the back of the room. Hi, Claudia. Hi. Uh, that was way back in 2001, 2002. We did a lot of local grassroots um, events like this, a little more structured than this one. Uh, the same idea, basically, to educational uh, activities. And we still have a website. We don't do much program anymore, but we still have an old-school email list. Uh, so if you enjoy conversing about issues pertaining to being like a... It's not just technology, but basically virtual companies in the valley. You should definitely check that out if you're a fan of the old school. I'm also a volunteer video person for Northampton Community Television. So this is uh, something I've been doing for about a year now. So you might see me at everything from like a kid's play to uh, a bureaucratic uh, meeting that you're going to protest some <laughs> legislation you don't like. I might be the guy behind the camera trying to document your your rant. Um, so I'm a multimedia content producer, so I'm always trying to get better with media, and that's one of the takeaways from this session is that media comes in a lot of forms, and it's well worth embracing that learning curve um, as much as you can, because this distinction between like tech people who do tech things and business people who do business things needs to be utterly destroyed if you want to move forward. So. This site, Diginomica.com, is my main undertaking. It's an enterprise uh, commentary site we launched last May. The, uh, it may not be relevant to your day-to-day -day life, so I'm going to warn you about that right now. Um, but the, the, reason I'm the reason I'm mentioning it is because uh, I've done a lot of... Uh, uh, fail fast is something I really took to heart, um, although some of my ventures have failed slowly. Um, this one was profitable. It's not funny, but it's funny. This one was, no, it is kind of funny, actually, when you get enough distance from it. Um, this, one was, this one was profitable in, in, in two months. So that, that's a first for me. Um, I founded it with four other grizzled veterans of the industry bloggers uh, from the UK. So I, sometimes I call the venture me and the Brits. Um, but they're really brilliant, smart guys, and it was basically a new way of uh, approaching the business of media in a, in a media profession that's become, I think, really pretty corrupt. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity to do that right now through uh, any sort of passions that you have locally, which is one reason why I'm volunteering locally doing video work. Um, but let me just tell you what motivated this session, and then I'd like to hear from you guys, see if we're at all on the same page in terms of what you want me to cover. I don't even know how long I have left. I should probably make a note of that. When is the session end? 1045. All right, so we got like 35 minutes. So the, the reason that I'm doing this session is that I've spent a lot of time with a lot of companies of a lot of different sizes, and I see a very common problem, which is uh, sort of a rush to get onto social networks uh, because it feels like the right thing to do. 
without really doing what I think is a necessary piece of work before you get to that step, which is to figure out uh, what you have of value to offer the world and how you're going to offer it. Because social media thrives on the ability to share free content. And without content, you're, you run the risk of becoming very hollow, essentially becoming a broadcaster. Um, it turns out that people aren't as interested in our brands as we would like them to be. Um, but they really, really want to get to know us as people who are expert in things. So a long time before they buy anything from you or, or affiliate themselves with your products or your services or your, or your nonprofit agenda, they want to learn to trust you as an expert. And I'm telling you right now that being on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn is probably not going to be enough to accomplish that. You have to have something that you're passionate about that you've collated expertise around and found an easy way to share that in ways that excites people and gets them involved in conversations. Um, so I think a lot of people just haven't done that work before they get on the social channels and, and then it becomes very difficult and <laughs> I've had a lot of rough experiences with companies trying to explain this to them and sometimes honestly I've lost a lot of consulting work over this because it's like well we want a you know, Twitter account I'm like well, what are you going to say? You know, well, we're going to talk about how great we are. I was like, okay. You know, and, and listen, there is, there's some people are lucky enough to have a lot of brand affiliation, in which case situation is a little different, right? I mean, you can think of certain brands. There's not many of them, but there are a few, right? Like music would be a great example, right? Like you, you guys probably all have music you're a fan of. For me, like I'm really into Tool, for example. So like if, if, Maynard, if Maynard is on you know, Twitter or Facebook, I might check him out just because he's already earned a lot through me. But the real cutting edge around content is starting to think about it, not just in terms of putting out content, but giving people meaningful experiences and remembering that you have to keep earning your relationship with people. You can't just fall back on, well, I'm a great expert. I have a degree. I have this or that. It's more about, can I create an authentic experience that helps that person move towards their goals? And if, if they trust you to do that, then it's amazing the kind of things that can flow from there. Um, now, we'll say one more thing uh, that's kind of interesting, which is that artists and creative people have a whole different set of dilemmas around these issues because, uh, and, and I would include programmers in this group as well, but sometimes it's hard to get used to giving stuff away if you're a creative person. And that's kind of been my struggle because I'm a business guy, but I've also been an artist. and. A long time before I was a business person, I was an artist, and I really struggled with this whole notion of the deterioration of intellectual property as a concept, and I still honestly do. Um, not only in that space, but I was thinking of an experience that I had with I was do, doing social media consulting with a hospital, and the doctors were saying, how, can, how come I'm not on page one of Google search? And I said, because you're not publishing, you're not... Uh, you're not getting out there with your uh, with the stuff that you know. Uh, in many cases, because of contractual reasons and because of the you know the whole thing regarding um, jury publications, you know, the good stuff that they publish is locked up behind paywalls, right. and they they contractually cannot. You know, publish yeah. this stuff at a level that, that establishes their credibility and establishes their brand. A lot of awesome points there. By the way, that was great form, raising your hand and basically chiming in right away. Um, yeah, so, so, so companies have a different 
flavor of that problem than artists do, right? Because they have legal hurdles they have to overcome. I've encountered this a lot as well with clients where they literally can't share certain content. And, and there you're looking at this really nasty problem of culture change, which is really difficult. And those of you who are good at that may be able to speak to that because you can get a lot of consulting work helping companies figure this stuff out and get their heads out of their whatevers. Um, but but it is, it's, a major, it's a major shift in how you think about property. And I've had a debate just the other day about this because someone was saying, well, we could, it was a debate about whether they should give away a certain product for free. And I was saying that they should. And I said, well, no, because this has value. And that's the big problem is, yeah, it does have value, and that's exactly why you need to give it away. You need to give people a complete experience of what it is you have to offer. And that's very counterintuitive for most professional people and definitely for artists because it's hard to think about giving your work away. Now, I will say that certainly, and we could get into a bigger discussion of this, it's not so much the free aspect sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's the frictionless thing. So... You know, if a micropayment on an easy platform could be almost the same as free in some cases. And also there's a whole different piece of it of what I call free premium content, which is essentially if you build a really good content strategy, you're kind of giving away things like blog posts for free, but you're also creating value-add kinds of products, whether it's ebooks, which Claudia specializes in amongst other things. But you're giving away you're giving away sign-up content. So essentially a lot of times customers uh, your audience is willing to share data with you over time in exchange for value. And that becomes a very, very important consideration. A lot of times, that data is more valuable than their money, really, um, because it gives you a chance to customize whatever it is you do towards what they need. Um, so I'm going to stop there for a second. Just, just um, We have some time left, so let's, let's hear from some people in the room as to what you'd like to get out of the next 20 or so minutes, and I'll do my best to accommodate so what, what, what brought you here? Well, I'm curious about to know how you, um, what, you, what your revenue model is for Diginomica. It's a nice looking site, though. Okay. So the revenue model of the venture. Okay. What else? You guys are going to be presenting today, so get used to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, uh, my son uh, is looking for work, and he does some architectural design and has a long-running blog, but looking for uh, other kinds of content. He publishes basically only a couple of kinds of content and just trying to maybe come up with some ideas for some different kinds of content that might be more, you know, uh, helpful or, or attractive to people. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the challenges that I'm running up against is how to get people who already have something great to say, you know, potential knowledge to share, to write, to blog. Mm. I, I, uh, I'm the admissions and marketing director of a small graduate school, and there are both faculty, staff, and students who could be writing awesome stuff, and so I'm thinking about how to incentivize them and mm-hmm. get them to want to share that. How to pull content out of your subject matter experts, and this and this is a really important point because a lot of times what happens is social media is often a marketing driven venture, but unfortunately marketing teams aren't really very good at what we're talking about here, and so essentially what I tell my clients is well I don't say it exactly like this, but I'll say it to you today like this: fire your marketing people and hire journalists. Um, but 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 the journalists are not just writing content, right? They're sourcing content. And 
the big job is getting the subject matter experts who are often not used to communicating with the outside world to begin to interact because they're going to be the ones that really have impact and, and create community because ultimately that's the goal, right, is you're trying to create a real culture and community around what it is you do. A couple more people that things that are on your mind. I work with a lot of small businesses who are um, overstressed and under the wire, um, mm. can't find time to write content and feel they don't know how to write good content. Right. So, so the time problem, the time problems are real. And, they, and the, the feeling that they are underqualified to write good content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about one more? I, I'd like to figure a way to get my audience to kind of engage with our you know, with what we do social media wise, because I just get like likes and nothing else. Right. No. What's everybody doing the day? And there's nothing. Right. Uh, and just on that point is I take I hope most people in the storm are aware of the that Facebook is phasing out visibility of I Facebook pages so. on feeds. Is are people aware of that? Yes. Okay. So that's basically officially coming from Facebook. So I would encourage people to put Facebook on the very bottom of your list of how you would interact unless you're willing to have a paid advertising program because that's how Facebook wants to engage you. Because why? What, what is happening? So Facebook is, <laughs> Facebook is constantly adjusting their algorithm. What they've decided is that pages, essentially brands or businesses, are not especially relevant to what people need to see in their feeds because there's so much competition to show people what the feeds. And so they, they're gradually phasing out the visibility of businesses and feeds. And one of the main reasons for that is they, they have an advertising and revenue agenda for businesses, so they want to essentially compel you to pay to get in front of your audience. So essentially, there's some stories right now where you could see people who invest a lot of money to accumulate as many as 500,000 likes, and now they're getting very little traction on that because they're not showing up in feeds. Um, so, so essentially, when you put out something on Facebook as a page, you're going to get about 10% visibility, and that's actually going down. The only value to accumulating likes at this point is that you can use those likes in the context of a paid advertising campaign. So that's a little horrifying tidbit. Val? There is one other, I'm, I would not say to give up on Facebook, maybe the pages, but there's other yes. community. Yes, yeah, that, that's a really important point. Like, there, you can participate in Facebook in a community sense and get a lot out of it. Especially if you figure out how to do that via your personal page and through groups. Um, the challenge there is you really have to spend a lot of time thinking about how to do that in a way that is not off-putting to people. Because I don't know about you, but I, I have friends on Facebook, even people who I support, for example, as artists, and the way they're spamming me with, with invites and events and stuff, like uh, I'm playing in Alaska tomorrow night, um, it, it actually deteriorates our relationship. So you, yeah. your point is totally valid, but you do have to be smart about that because you're really blurring the lines because that's not why people friended you, right? And, and the reason the reason I like right and the reason I like a page or is, is because it gives people a chance to opt in. A group could be a good alternative if you can create a culture around what you do. So how do I think about what I do in a, in a group sense? Because people can opt into groups and, and control their notifications around groups. But just keep in mind, Facebook is not spending a lot of time on group functionality, so it's kind of uh, arduous at best. We can tell you stories about that. And, and, and a corollary to that, I think, is that uh, the, the difference between a strategy and tactics that um, you know, most of the time, you know, I, I see this with people selling SEO snake oil, that you know, all you have to do is, and whenever somebody says that, that sends me running from the room, because 
there's, there's always some shortcut that's going to work until Facebook changes their algorithm, until Google changes its search algorithm, until, you know, until these things. So you're constantly refining your tactics. Right, your strategy has to be you know, what level of engagement for what kind of content, yeah. and uh, and keep that foremost. And secondarily, are the tactics of all right. I'm going to I'm going to use Facebook for the, the next three months and reevaluate the, the ROI. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and of course, the you can get. I, I have a, a couple of post mocking SEO, but I actually think SEO has some validity, but. Again, if, if you're doing the content piece right, search will find you. It's where you really struggle with search and where companies struggle with search is where they don't have relevant content that people like and share, and then your search, forget about search at that point. Um, but, but your point being valid, the, the thing I, I t- I'm pretty biased towards having um, Hub, HubSpot, I don't know if you're aware of HubSpot.com, but it's, it's a really good resource, not only for their content, but how they execute on this strategy. And they talk about a hub and spoke model for content. And, and the hub, in my opinion, is something that you should own and control. So not everyone agrees with that. This is just my bias, okay? So you should have, in my opinion, a website that's your home base. That's your hub. And then outside of that hub are out, what I call a content outposts, which could include Facebook and other sites. If a content outpost starts to underperform or change, you make adjustments. But your hub is something you have ownership and control over. I think that's a pretty big deal. Because remember, a lot of these social network sites, when you go through the terms of use, they're pretty pretty draconian as far as their ownership of your intellectual property is concerned. So I think own, having, having ownership over that's really important. So what I want to do, I just want to answer briefly the business model question, because I'm the only one in the room that can answer that question. <laughs> it's about my business. And, and from there, I'm going to ask you guys to answer the questions of the other people in the room. So as far as Diginomica.com is concerned, uh, the business model for the site is a, it's sort of a variation on a sponsored content model. So there's no advertising in the site. And one of the reasons we did that is because if you go to a typical tech site in our industry, as soon as you log on to a page, you're getting blasted with pop-up ads and just craziness. And so we wanted to have a lot more control over the environment uh, of, of our publication. And so we thought, well, we're going to have essentially sponsors that, that sign contracts with us, and they're essentially paying us for a chance to participate in the conversation by posting their own content. Um, in some circles, this is called native advertising, and some people are not a fan of native advertising. And there's a lot of perils to native advertising because you run the risk of violating the trust of your readers, right? If if, if, they're, if they love your stuff and then, they're, then the next blog post is like some blatant spam tutorial, they're like, you know, what, what am I reading? What am I participating in? And a lot of times it's not clear what's paid and what's not. We're doing our best to try to identify what's paid, but the other thing that we do that's a little unusual is that we challenge our, our partners to create stuff that is deeply relevant to our readers. So we end up rejecting or editing a lot of their pieces. It's going to be interesting to see how that fares in the long term, um, but I think they understand the point because the point is if they can learn how to communicate in a broader way, they can connect with people that are not part of their, that aren't drinking their brand Kool-Aid, but, but are maybe really respect and interested in what they do. Oh, wow, that surprised me. They even offer those services, but they're, they're not ready to have that conversation yet. They just, 
they need to figure out how to communicate with people in a more, I guess, human manner. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, in general, they're, they're excited about it, but sometimes it is challenging for them to create the kind of content that's appropriate for that. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges in our business model. But we had a lot of pretty significant people in the industry sign up right away, and that was basically based on the fact that we all have relationships with these people. And so it was a much easier sales process than like a cold call because that's where the grizzled veteran part comes in because I'm one of the youngest guys in the group and, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years or something. So, you know, it gives you a sense of that. So, so essentially that was the model that we proposed. So all of our content is, is free. Uh, and so it's really been successful. We passed a million page views in January. Now, it's not really a page view driven model, so I always have this love-hate thing with stats because we're trying to connect with a very particular audience and it's way more important who is reading than the amount of people, but unfortunately in this world people ask you the stats questions and, you know, so you have to deal with it. Uh, One of our big challenges is because everything is free, we're not doing as good a job with obtaining data about who participates in, in our ventures. So we have the opposite problem that I, a lot of our, my clients do, where they're really good at maybe a webinar where they can get 100 people to sign up and share con- information, but they're terrible at blogging. Yeah. Um, we have the opposite challenge. So that's our business model. So does anyone want to take a stab at addressing some of the uh, questions that people raised, kind of just respond to them, and then if, if you guys don't have responses, I'll address the rest of the questions. Can you say the question? Okay, so shall we, let's, let's, review, let's review some of the questions and make sure I got them all down. Um, so one of them was, people have great things to say, but how do you pull content out of them? Um, one of them was, uh, if I can read my own handwriting, uh, the Blogging is a little bit maybe stale or looking for rejuvenating other approaches beyond blogging. Uh, what else do we have? We had, um, there was a couple more. Oh, you were you were commenting about... Um, yeah, engaging on social channel, how to improve engagement. And then you have one too, right? What, there was one more? Um, small businesses who are probably feeling challenged of how to do their own content and still run their business. Time strapped. Yeah. Okay. Those were the main ones, right? Anyone have any comments on any of those? Well, for the time strapped, I know there are lots of writers out there, and that's what they do. Um, You know, you got to pay them, but um, if you haven't got time to do it yourself... And if, particularly if your concern is not having the skills to do it, and you know that's, I think that's a very valid concern. Um, uh, so there are people that do that for a living, and they're darn good at it. So I do that for a living. session right after lunch called Three Easiest Ways to Write a Book, and a lot of the techniques I talk about are about pulling content out of yep. people. So let me just run down a couple of them right now that might be quick and easy. One is just to think about it as an interview. You talked about hiring journalists instead of yeah, yeah. marketing people. 
people set up an interview. What kind of questions? Get a, a, a list of questions that you ask everybody that's involved in your organization. You can even have it as a template so they kind of expect what you're going to ask. Case studies is one model. What's the, what's, you know, give me some background situational information. What was the problem you were facing? How did you resolve it? What were the lessons learned? That's a case study model. So there are templates of things that you can ask to prepare people for. Um, you can come up with a question of the day. What was the best customer you ever worked with? And so you get very positive content coming out of people. Sometimes it's just working with someone, a professional writer, to come up with the questions to ask people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know what they know. So the minute you start getting them talking, sometimes it's harder to get them to shut up. But one of the questions to get the most valuable interview question I ever learned to get people to talk is, tell me more about that. As soon as somebody feels you're genuinely interested in what they're saying and you just say that, I've even asked that question over and over again to see how much I can have. Yeah, okay, that's great. I definitely, sounds like you should definitely be at her session as well. Um, I'll probably be there too. Um. Um, about uh, uh, rejuvenating blogs, or not rejuvenating, but you know, creating new or introducing new content, video blogs are becoming more and more mm -hmm. of a thing these days. And actually, it sort of ties into the concern about people who are uncomfortable or don't feel they have the skills to write. So yeah. I think there are a lot of people who maybe they don't feel they have the skills to write about you. You've got them talking, um, like using the, uh, the processes you were mentioning, but talking about something they're enthused about and uh, very knowledgeable about. That can be a good workaround. And uh, actually, for sharing on social media sites, people are much more likely to watch a minute and a half video than mm -hmm. to read a couple paragraphs in a lot of cases because they feel it's quite Yeah. Or at, at the least, giving people a range of consumption options for how they want to consume your content is always great. And um, one interesting thing, of course, not everyone is super comfortable with video either, right? But, uh, but uh, you may want to experiment a little bit with Google Hangouts, for example, because I've had great experiences using the Hangouts platform. And um, it takes a little practice sometimes for first-timers to get the webcam and audio working. But once they get the hang of it, you can create really interesting content that way. So that's an interesting point along those lines. You were going to say something? Yeah. Um um, one of the things that I've noticed is that really successful social media engagement really gets at what the customer wants to know, not what you want to tell them. Yeah. And too many marketing campaigns, it's all about we've got to get this out. We want to tell our story. So, for instance, um, one of the ones I, I remember that did very well, and this was this was just some, it was a uh, it was an old family-run hardware store or something, and they had um, sort of evolved into um, farm fencing materials, and they put up a blog post or a video about how do you build a horse paddock with this stuff. That's something that the customer wants to know, yeah. not what you want to tell them. Yeah. And you can get that from salespeople sometimes, yeah. because they're intimately involved. Definitely. Sales-driven content, I've, wrote, I've written about that before. It's very valuable if you can sit your salespeople down long enough to get that information. They know a lot about that stuff. Um, how many are familiar with the phrase design thinking? Design thinking is essentially an emerging methodology 
that is really about un- building, well, it, it was really, especially in development circles, but you can really use it for content, which is really kind of role-based design where you, you, you might even actively interview your own customer base before you design. Works very well for content too. That, of course, I'm sure as a lot of folks as Rome will attest, once you get going, social media will be a great accountability check for you on the caliber of your content or not. And um, encouraging transparent and sometimes uh, painful conversations about your the caliber of your content is very important and is a key part of that process. I call it the feedback loop, and it's a really important part. Just to wrap up on your question about small business and the time, I think it is tough because content is either time or money, right? I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. And the, you know, just being on Twitter or Facebook and not spending time on content, it's only going to have real limited value. So I can't really sugarcoat that, that basically this is the cost of doing business now. The only thing that someone could potentially do is I do notice a lot of businesses waste a lot of money on traditional PR and marketing and SEO. No insult to people who do that stuff because it's still important in some cases. But sometimes reallocation of those resources towards content as at least part of that strategy and understanding how important it is can, can be something. But but yeah, it is, it's a culture change, but most businesses need to really think about that unless they're thriving, in which case maybe they don't. And that also ties in with knowing your customer and knowing what your customer needs at a particular point in time. Uh, in yeah. many cases, uh, for example, if, if there's a, you know, a chiropractor <coughs> asked me to, to do a website for him, and um, there, some much of what the the mobile user wants is just you know address and phone number. But how do I get there? Um, the desktop browser might be looking for something a little bit more expansive, and so on. So you're tailoring your tailoring your content to what that what the customer needs at a particular time and place. Yeah. And that um, that takes some thought and uh, you know, goes back to you know, you know, use cases and all of that kind of stuff that you know, we've been doing for 20 years. Yeah, I think you make a really good point because uh, it, it, it's, it's not just about content as marketing, it's about changing the customer experience for the better and improving the customer experience and potentially expanding markets so that a small business that's struggling with content Maybe part of it is developing a business case around how they could expand their audience. Give you some simple, surprising examples. I've seen this happen in, I know a couple people locally who do kind of therapeutic services who started blogging a lot and suddenly they realized they could take money through phone consultations. And in the past, all their businesses have been local and walk-in and suddenly they're, they're making like international phone calls all time of day or night, like making money, helping people. And it was all through the content that, that created that. So, so sometimes it's changing the business case, and that helps people. But there's no simple answer to your question, so I won't try to make it sound simple. Um, one great resource for people who want to learn more, if, if you Google HubSpot pool guy, you, you know the story about the pool guy? Mm-hmm. He's like this, this guy who had a pool business in Virginia. The recession came, almost went bankrupt. And they decided um, he was going to start blogging. And he... You can find out what people are searching, what search terms. He found out every question people had about pools, concrete versus whatever. He, and he decided 100% transparency, give customers all the secrets that the industry never revealed, and, and now he's a multimillionaire, fabulously successful, because he, he responded to what people wanted to know with no limitations, complete transparency. So really, 
and I've seen him speak. He's just like passionate about this. Yeah. Like, find out what people want to know and answer the yeah. goddamn questions. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what he said. I, I think so. What guy? Uh, he's a pool, he has a pool company. If you if you Google HubSpot pool company guy, um, swimming pools. Um, if, if you Google that, you'll find him. And he's got a big ebook, and he he advises other companies now on how to do this. HubSpot also has some good stats on how content properly executed can reduce the cost per lead, and that's another way to talk to businesses who are skeptical about content because this stuff has been proven out to a certain extent. Um, though it can sound kind of like science fiction sometimes. I freak some clients out by telling them to give away most of their intellectual property. They get really upset. But I had a, biz a client who actually had a business unit failure because he was unwilling to give content away mm -hmm. until it was too late. Yeah. And in his case, he had a bunch of awesome content, but he couldn't get over it. And he's like, this is all my intellectual property. I'm like, well, create some more. Yeah. You know, intellectual yeah. property deteriorates so quickly now. Um, and you know, obviously if 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 you you know if you've recorded Stairway to Heaven, that's a different story because it's hard to create really brilliant stuff like that that is like legendary. But for the most part, most of us create content like move on and create something else, create something new, create something better, release that other stuff into the wild where it belongs, and then suddenly instead of resenting the hell out of people for stealing your stuff you're happy because it's everywhere and so are you. And it's amazing once you adjust that mindset. But it can be difficult to do that, and as he pointed out, sometimes there's legal hurdles to doing that as well. You were wanting to comment. So the other thing that I just, we've done, and that has been, it's kind of works perfectly, is we hired someone who's 23. And the, the thing about it that works absolutely perfectly is that this was his life. He grew up in this, and so he knows it intuitively in a way that I just have you no know, like he has ideas and like how to and so looking yep. at the youth in that way it just it's changed everything. Yeah. Uh, okay so a couple more points. Uh, on pulling content out uh, and talking about hiring writers. Um, I think hiring writers is great but in the long term in the long term thinking about hiring an editor because someone who understands how to interview, how to create content, how to proliferate that content is far more valuable than hiring a writer. So if you can figure out how to get editors installed in your company, in your clients' companies, that's very, very powerful. As far as your architecture goal, I want to get back to that for a second. The other thing I haven't touched on that I think is really powerful now is uh, content is in some ways a limiting way to think about this conversation. A better way to think about it is social objects. And social objects, if you Google it, there's a guy named uh, Hugh McLeod. His Twitter handle is Gaping Void. He's written a couple of the most brilliant books on the stuff you could ever ignore. Every ignore everybody is one of his books, but but um, this whole notion of um, social objects is basically things that are e easily and freely shared that people can consume and enjoy. And content is one of them, but it could be applications. More and more, we're hearing about that world of apps, right? Um, so I think about architecture, for example, think about how could I create something interactive on my site that people could visit and participate in, maybe design buildings or plug-in specs or, or see past things that he's done in a more interactive manner. Think about building an app. It's a whole different way of looking at it. He might not have those skills, but he could hire a developer. That's a whole different way of thinking about content and thinking about a model. Just want to, not trying to solve that problem. <laughs> in 30 seconds, but the point is there's different ways of thinking about this that are way outside the box of just a blog, for example. Um, well, that's kind of what what I was going to ask is, we're talking about the hub and spoke model. Yeah. So he's got a good blog. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I can think of some interesting topics that he should write about that he hasn't been. Yeah. But where does it go? Where, where's the where are the spokes? What, yeah. What, and, and that's and that's that. a little bit of an individual thing, and it varies a lot by industry. <clears throat> Essentially, he needs to be where the interesting conversations are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a trade, a couple of trade shows would probably do wonders if he hasn't gone to any recently to really interact with people directly. Mm-hmm. You, you really have to do that, and 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 potentially speak and present and put a human face on things, and also get that feedback. That feedback loop is really important. But in every, if I if I had someone like that as a client, what I would do is I would talk with them about. Um, I don't really do this, by the way, anymore. But, but if I would basically say, like, um, you know, where online are the important conversations happening, and that helps to define your spoke model. Because the one danger of saying, <coughs> the one danger of the hub is insisting on people visit your hub, right? That's not going to work. Um, you have a hub, but but you go to where they are to share content and information. Your spokes are defined by where those people are and where the relevant conversations are, and that's why there's no cure-all solution. So while I, you know, trash Facebook earlier, maybe in your industry, Facebook is where it's at, and so there's no gross generalization to be made there. I want to talk briefly about your engagement thing, which is, um, I, I think the biggest thing is just picking a few of your most loyal followers and understanding them better, maybe talking with them about what they like and don't like about what you do, maybe even featuring them. I mean, there's nothing like putting, uh, featuring someone's work and, and who they are to make them more interested in engaging and sharing your stuff. So, um, you know, it's kind of that sort of a sort of a new twist on the focus group, but essentially really um, having a core, if you have a core of advocates that really believe in what you do, that can go a long way to changing engagement. If you don't have a core of people who are passionate about what you do, like for example, we have like fanboys and fangirls of this site. I know it's hard to believe, but there are people who just really love what we do. That's a really big deal for us because these are people that are like waiting for new stuff and pushing it out there. You can't put a price on that, right? Um, so if you don't have that, you need it. And if you can't build it, then it raises questions about what it is you're doing and do you need to shift your model or your approach a little bit in order to engage people in that way? And maybe it does involve events like this where people can actually build meaningful relationships. I think we're pretty much out, right? This is it. So I hope I got everyone. If I didn't, I'm sorry. Just find me later. We'll do it. Look forward to seeing you in a day long. Thank you.